0: We want to let God's Word soak in us and soak through us so much that it affects everything around us. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke and I get to serve here as one of the ministers at PCC. If you're joining us online, we are glad you're with us and we hope to meet you here face to face soon. And uh, we've got the kids in the room with us today and I'm pumped about that. Woo! And I uh, hope you guys have had a great fall break and uh, kiddos, I want you guys to know that we are so pumped that you are here to worship with the grown ups today and we want you to love Jesus for all of your lives, to love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and we love having you in here with us this morning. If you have a Bible, with you today, open it up to Nehemiah chapter eight. Nehemiah chapter eight, and while you do, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been really, truly thirsty? Like, I'm not just talking about, you know, oh, my mouth's a little dry, a a drink sounds nice right about now. I mean, really thirsty, like find me a puddle and let me start slurping. Have you ever been really, truly thirsty? And if you've ever been parched to that degree, then you know that when you're really, really thirsty, no matter how much you like Coke, and no matter how much you like sweet tea, there is nothing as deeply satisfying to your body as a big, tall, cool glass of water. Water's just pretty amazing, isn't it? And, and we, we use water for all kinds of things. You know, We use water for cooking, we use water for cleaning. Hopefully every now and then you use water for bathing, we use water for playing. Some of you just got back from trips to the water. Water's an amazing thing, and I am really fascinated by the different effect that water has on different kinds of matter. So for example, I've got some water up here with me. Pretend with me for a moment that this is boiling water, like super hot. I thought about trying to get boiling water up here, thought it was a bad idea with the kids in the room. But um, imagine this is boiling water, and I took this egg and placed it in the boiling water and let it sit there for a little while. What would happen to that egg? Those insides that are all really like soft and gooey and runny, what would happen? They, They would harden, right? They get hard. But imagine I took a potato. This is a normal potato, got it from my pantry this morning. And, And if I put this potato that's already hard in the exact same boiling water right next to the egg, what would happen to the potato? It would get soft, right? And today we're talking about God's word. We're talking about how God speaks to us and God's word is the Bible. This is one of the ways he talks to us. And when God speaks to us through his word, you can kind of be like the egg or you can kind of be like the potato. For some people, they're like the egg. Then when they read God's word or they hear what God wants for their lives, instead of obeying it, they just kind of get really hard on the inside. And so they reject God's word. Other people are like the potato. Potato. That when they hear God's word, they they let it in, their insides are all kinda like soft and gooey, you know, but but it doesn't give them any real strength or resilience for life, and it doesn't have any effect on anything around them. So I don't really wanna be a hard-boiled egg kind of church, and I don't really wanna be a mashed potato kind of church. So if you'll let me play this analogy out a little bit further, let's see the effect that water has on something else. How about beans? Now, I'm not just talking about any beans, of course. I'm talking about the queen bean, the mother of all legumes, the coffee bean. Can I get an amen this morning? And if I take this coffee bean, and we put the the coffee beans in the filter, and then we pour water, hot water, the same hot water on these coffee beans, what happens? All of a sudden, ta-da, lo and behold, like... Go-go juice, rocket fuel, liquid sleep, the nectar of life, right? Like, it's amazing. Now, when the hot water goes into these beans, it doesn't just, like, harden the beans all by themselves or soften the beans all by themselves. It actually goes in and through the beans and changes them, but it also changes the water all around it. So here's the moral of the story. We want to be people like that, right? We want to let God's word soak in us and soak through us so much that it affects everything around us. We don't want to be the potato. We don't want to be the egg. We want to be the bean. That's the moral of the story today. Be the bean. And if I could say it perhaps a little bit more clearly, we'll say it like this Let God's word do God's work. Now, we've been building this wall together as we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah in the Bible, and the book of Nehemiah is this amazing story. God's people, the Jews, had disobeyed God, and they had failed to follow his rules, and so God told them, oh, I got that out of order, thank you, Um, God told them that if they disobeyed him, they were gonna get taken away from their homes, and they did, they got taken to a faraway land in Persia, but God promised he wasn't gonna leave them there, and so... God gave this one guy named Nehemiah who's working in the government in Persia. He gave him a desire to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls that had been knocked down. And so, Nehemiah, he prays to God, and he goes to the Persian king, and and God helps the Persian king to help Nehemiah, and Nehemiah goes a thousand miles across the desert, and he faces all kinds of enemies and all kinds of distractions, but he gets all the people together, and in 52 days, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's an amazing story. We wrapped up that part of the story last week, but the story's not over there. We're going to see more of it today, but... We've said all along that this isn't just a story from a long time ago that we're remembering. This is also about your story. Because Nehemiah says, all throughout this book, he says that when he got the people together to rebuild the wall, they were doing a good work. And in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul who writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has made you and God has saved you so that you can do the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And so we've been asking you these questions. What is the mission that God has for you? What is the good work He has called you to. What are the opportunities He's given you and the abilities He's given you and the relationships and experience He's given you? What are the desires that He's given you? What is the good work that God has for you? And so next week, when you guys come back, we're gonna give you these little concrete blocks for you to take home. And we want you to write on this little concrete block, my good work is blank. And we want you to have prayed and thought about this so clearly that you can write it down, that you can fill in that blank with the mission that God has for you in this season of your life. But the fact of the matter is, That for some of you today, you still have no idea what your mission is. You still have no idea what the good work is that God's calling you to right now. You have no idea what you're gonna fill in that blank with next week. And we've talked a lot in this series about the good work that you are called to do, that we are called to do. And yet, I know that can be a lot of pressure on you. So I wanna relieve some of that pressure this morning by reminding you that God is the one who does this good work through us. This is his work. And that we do this work by the power of his spirit through his word. Let God's word do God's work. Because there's power when God speaks. There's power in the word of God. When I stand up to preach every week, when I sit down to write a sermon, I have no idea what's going on in your world. I don't know what kind of a week you've had. I have no idea what you need to hear in this particular moment. But I know that if I just preach God's word, God's gonna do the work. I love the promise God gives us in Isaiah 55 when he says, my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Listen, when you come here, you, you could go listen to a lot better motivational pep talks and TED Talks on YouTube, and you could go hear better music on Spotify, and you could go see a better show at Banker's Life or whatever they call it these days. Like, but, but, but our commitment to you is that every week, when we gather together, you will get to hear nothing less than the words of the living God himself. So... Nehemiah chapter eight is where we're gonna be today. Nehemiah chapter eight. The wall has been completed, but the story's not over. Look what happens next. We're gonna read the first eight verses. The words will be on the screen. I'm gonna read out loud the words in white, and I want you guys to read out loud the words in yellow, and I won't make you read the names, but you're allowed to laugh at me as I read the names. Sound like a good deal? All right, this is what God says. Nehemiah writes this. He says, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon, I Promise the sermon won't last that long, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Midathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book. All the people stood up to see him because he was standing above them and as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Acab, Shabbathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So here's the scene. The wall has just gotten rebuilt, and now all the people are packed together. It's a crowd; they're shoulder to shoulder. Imagine Times Square on New Year's Eve. And you guys have been in a crowd before, at a concert or a sporting event. You know how this goes. The text says they ask Ezra to bring out the book of the law. So I can imagine one guy off in the corner kind of starts the chant, right? Bring out the book. Bring out the book, bring out the book. And he probably tries to start the wave and it doesn't really go anywhere, but the people keep chanting, bring out the book. And so this old man named Ezra brings out the book. And Ezra had been a student of God's word. He'd been praying for a long time for the people's hearts to come back to God. Ezra, he actually has his own book of the Bible right before Nehemiah. I love what it says about Ezra. I hope someday somebody can say it about me. Ezra seven says, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. In other words, Ezra let God's word do the work on him so that God could do the work through him. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe if you don't know what the good work is that God wants to do through you, maybe that means that God still has some good work he wants to do on you first, And today we're gonna see three ways that God did his work on his people through his word. Maybe one of those ways will be a challenge to you this morning. Here's the first challenge, it's this. Let God's word reveal his goodness. Let God's word reveal his goodness. Look at how the people respond when God's word is read. Here's another long chunk, we'll read it together. It says, the Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, As it is written, the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. So as the people are Hearing God's word together, they realize they haven't been observing the festivals, the parties that God wanted his people to do. And they realize it's time for one of those festivals called the Festival of the Tabernacles, where basically God told his people that every family should go camping for a week. They're supposed to go out and get these sticks and build these little forts, build these little huts in their backyards or on the roofs of their houses because they had flat roofs. And to camp outside for a week together, eat a bunch of good food, drink a bunch of good drinks to remind themselves of how their ancestors had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But that God had provided for all of their needs. And so that's what the people do. Every family goes out, they start gathering sticks, and they go camping for a week. How many of you guys think that sounds like fun? I see a bunch of kids raising their hand, not a lot of parents raising their hand. That's interesting. Wow, okay. Um, Specifically here, Nehemiah says, though, that this started because the heads of the families gathered together to listen to God's word. If you're a parent, or a grandparent in the room today. Let me talk to you for just a minute. I wanna remind you of the calling that you have been given to set the spiritual temperature of your home. It's a high calling, it's an intimidating thing, but we're not called to let our kids or our grandkids dictate the spiritual temperature. We are called to be the spiritual trendsetters in our houses. I know that's intimidating, but I wanna give you just a couple things that that means. First thing is this, let your family see you worship. Let them see that being here is important to you. That's part of the reason I love that the kids are in here today. That's why I love that you've made the commitment to being a part of this place so that we can remember together what God has done. And kids, we do that in a lot of different ways when we gather together. In a little while, we're gonna take communion together. And this isn't like a little rip and sip, mid-service snack of a shot of Welch's grape juice and a little chicklet of bread, right? (laughs) This is how we remember what Jesus has done for us and how good God is by dying and by rising for the dead so that we could be with him. I want you to worship and, and, and to let your family see you worship. I, I hear a lot of parents who have a really good desire not to impose faith on their children or to make their kids resent the church, and that's a good desire, but it, it can sometimes lead to an unhealthy level of spiritual apathy. And, and as parents, you care about the dental hygiene of your kids, right? So you make them brush your teeth. And I believe that you also care about the state of your children and grandchildren's souls. So it's not wrong for you to make sure they're here and that they're seeing you worship when they do. We read in this text that the children saw their parents and so they engaged with their parents when their parents were raising hands as they were worshiping and when they stood to hear God's word and when they bowed down on their faces in reverence. And I know we all come from different backgrounds. We have different ways of worshiping and and you have different uh, church experiences and we have different personalities and that's okay. But I want you to know it's like, it's not wrong for you to like move and to get into worship when the music is playing you. That's okay. And you know, and, and you can, there's a lot of different moves you can do. Kids, you can practice these some later on if you want. Like if you're getting into worship, you can, if you're just not really comfortable, you can start with the little elbow flap. We call this the mini chicken dance. You can bounce on your toes a little bit if you need to. Here, you know, it's, it's pretty easy, but then you can, if you're really feeling it, you can bring the hands out of the pockets. You can carry the laundry you know, you just carry the laundry in the worship service. You can you can do the hold my baby if you're really feeling it. You can even do the Lion King if you want to move past that. It, it's okay. If you're really feeling it, you can do the Pledge of Allegiance. That's all right. The Pledge, or the, the Rocky Balboa, the Jonathan Taylor Touchdown. There's all, there's all kinds of moves while we're here. There's, you can do lots of different things. The wax on, the wax off. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. Now, listen, I don't actually care whether or not you raise your hands in worship. If you do, that's great. If you don't, that's great. What I care about is that your family sees you engaged because worship is what we do to respond to how good God has been here. And we wanna be in it together. But we don't just do it by coming to church. I want you to do that at home, to remind your family of the goodness of God by how you structure your calendar and how you guys do holidays and how you do mealtimes and bedtimes and the kinds of things that hang on your wall and the kinds of music you listen to. And, and it's Thanksgiving. This is like a really easy time to do that. Maybe you guys are already doing this, but in our kitchen, we've got this little board that hangs on the wall and we're just writing down as a family things that we're thankful about. And it's got deep, profound things like world peace and Jesus and faith and all that on it. It's got like basketball and pumpkin smashing and all kinds of other good things on it too. It just reminds your family of the goodness of God, that's our responsibility. Let God's word do his work by revealing his goodness, but maybe, maybe God wants to do another work on you this morning. Sometimes we also have to let God's word reveal your sin. Let God's word reveal your sin. This week, we were carving pumpkins as our family. And so my oldest son, Judah, he's four years old. He was doing the best, most favorite part of every little boy when they're carving pumpkins, right? Like getting the guts out of the pumpkin. You you cut the top off and, and, and you just get your hands all there in the goop. And he was loving it, just scooping it, getting all kinds of gross and nasty when all of a sudden he yanked his hand out of the pumpkin and said, ow. He had a cut on his finger that he didn't even know about. He didn't even know that slice was there until the gross little pumpkin juices got on it and they made it sting. And you guys know this feeling, right? If you've ever gotten hand sanitizer but forgot you had a hangnail, you guys know that feeling. That's what God's word does for us. That as we become people who are in God's word, he's gonna reveal those those wounds and those areas of brokenness and, and our sin, sometimes in places that we didn't even know were there. Maybe that's what God wants to do for you today, Look what happens after the party is over. After the festival is done, Nehemiah chapter 9, it says this. Nehemiah says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. So the mood here shifts pretty quickly from celebration to confession, from from rejoicing and throwing a big party to all of a sudden weeping and being really sad because as you spend time in God's word, not only will you realize how good he is, you'll also realize how not good we are. And just how far short we fall. And, and a lot of you, if you're thinking, you realize that's the hole in my whole analogy here with the coffee, right? Is that if I just put these whole coffee beans into the filter, it wouldn't actually do much. You gotta grind the beans up first, Right? And sometimes that's what God wants to do through you, that before, before he wants to work through you, he's gotta work on you, and he's gonna use his word to, to grind you up and to break you, to make you somebody who is usable by him. And when you become a person who's in God's word, sometimes God's word will cut you Hebrews chapter four says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When you're in God's word, he's gonna cut you to the heart. He's gonna reveal how far short you fall. But the good news is he's not gonna leave you there. Paul also says in 2 Timothy chapter three that God's word has the power to fix us. He says, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. There's one old Bible teacher who says that means that God's Word shows us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. The power to break addictions. And the power to heal marriages and the power to make wise decisions and the power to train children in the way that is true and the power to destroy gossip and dishonesty and the power to forgive the people who have hurt you and the power to break shame and the power to take misplaced priorities and rearrange them and the power to restore ruined relationships is in the word of God by the spirit of God working in the hearts of the people of God. Some of you need to let the word of God reveal your sin. And if you're ever in a worship service here and God convicts you, if he speaks to you, please, please, please don't walk out of those doors unchanged. If God reveals some brokenness in your life in this moment, that's why we have the prayer team that gathers around the edges of the room at the end of every service with their green lanyards on. We wanna walk with you to Jesus to help him heal those wounds in your life. Please don't walk out of here unchanged. Let God's word reveal his goodness. Let God's word reveal your sin. And here's the third thing. Let God's word restore your joy. Or renew your joy, I guess is how we said it. Um, In the Bible, um, the guy named Paul, he commands us in Philippians chapter four, verse four. Maybe you've heard this before. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then as if we didn't get it, he says, and I will say it again, rejoice. That seems weird, right? Like parents, you've been here before. Like I paid money to go to Disney World. You're gonna be happy. Like it seems odd to command somebody to be joyful, right? But there's actually good news with that. That if it is a command that we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord that means that we have a choice in the matter. That means that you and I have some agency that we get to determine the level of joy that we are going to live with. It's a commitment that we get to make. In fact, my favorite definition of joy, one one theologian says that joy is a defiant nevertheless. That no matter what happens in my life, no matter how hard things are right now, no matter how much I don't get it and don't feel like rejoicing, nevertheless, I will be a person of joy. And we know that, right? Our, our lives are shaped by the commitments that we make. Um, this is a plaque that hangs in my bedroom. And uh, on it, it shows the vows that Rebecca and I made to each other on our wedding day. And I see this plaque uh, every morning when I wake up and every evening when I go to bed and our kids see this plaque and they ask questions about it. And, and we get to tell them about the commitment that we made to one another, I get to say that A long time ago, mommy and daddy made a promise to each other that I was gonna serve Christ together with your mommy, that we would grow in his likeness, that I promised to your mommy that I would be faithful to her and to love her like Christ loves his church, that that I would protect her and provide for her and serve her and comfort her and encourage her and empty myself for her and care for her. And mommy and I promised together that we would follow God's plan so that in every area of our lives, the kingdom of God would come, the grip of sin and death would be loosened and Christ would have the glory. And mommy and I committed together that we would be true and loyal, that we would be patient in sickness and comfort. In sorrow and forsaking all others and we would keep ourselves only for each other, together working for the glory of God and all the earth so long as we both shall live. This is the commitment that has shaped our home so that no matter how many rough days we have and no matter how hard our marriage gets, sometimes we know we're not leaving, we're in this thing. And this commitment has given our family joy of knowing that our kids know no matter how many hard days we have, nevertheless, mommy and daddy love each other. And listen, do we keep these perfectly every day? No, Rebecca's really sinful, guys. <laughs> She's messed up. She's also not in this service. so. Uh. <laughs> no, of course we don't, no. But it gives us something to aspire to. And every day I get to wake up and recommit myself and to say to her, I still choose you. Our lives are shaped by the commitments that we make. And I want your home, I want your marriage, I want your parenting, I want, I want your life to be a life that is committed to letting God's word do God's work in you. That's what happens here in Nehemiah chapter 10 in chapters 10 through 12. All the leaders of the people, they get together and they sign this commitment that they're going to commit themselves to the word of God, that they as a people are going to allow God's word to do God's work in them. And these chapters show us that that commitment they made, it shaped every area of their lives. It shaped their calendars because they were now committing to being a part of these festivals year round. And it shaped their finances because every family committed to contributing financially to keep the temple afloat. And it it shaped their relationships because they wouldn't let their kids go marry people who worshiped other gods. And, and chapter 10 says that all the people were in on this commitment, and as a result, it says God restored their joy. I love this. In Nehemiah chapter 12, he says, on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great Joy, the women and children also rejoice. And I love this, it says, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. And my prayer for you is that the leaders of the homes in this room right now would step up and make a commitment that your family would be a family that is shaped by the word of God, that you'd let God's word affect every area of your lives, that it would affect your calendar and your finances and your relationships and that every day, no matter how busy life gets, no matter how hard life gets, no matter how much you don't feel like it, nevertheless, as Nehemiah said, you would let the joy of the Lord be your strength and that from that commitment, a pandemic of joy would spread from this church to all of Hendricks County. And maybe maybe you're still not sure after six weeks of this together, and that's okay, what, what the good work is that God has for you. But I'm confident that he will show it to you in his word if you come to him with that commitment and with an open heart, that maybe maybe he'll just reveal his goodness, maybe he'll reveal your sin, maybe he'll just renew your joy. And if you don't even know where to start today, I always encourage people to start in one of the gospels. In the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the stories of Jesus. And if you come to that with an open heart, God will speak to you and he will begin to work in you so that then he can work through you. And we read earlier about how Nehemiah and the people celebrated the festival of the tabernacles. Um, well, Every year on the last day of that celebration, after these families have had a week of camping together and barely managed to not kill each other and all the things that come with that, on the last day of the celebration, all the people would gather for a big parade. And the priests would lead this parade and there would be a priest carrying a pitcher of water. And all the people, the huge crowd, would follow this caravan of priests and they'd go through this parade throughout the whole city and they'd end up at the temple where the priest would take that pitcher of water and he would pour it out in front of the altar as a reminder of how God had given water to his people when they were wandering in the desert. Well, in the gospels, in John chapter seven, we actually see Jesus going to the festival of the tabernacles. And it says this, that on the last day of that feast, while this parade is happening, maybe even while the priest is pouring out the water, it says on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And that's Jesus' invitation to you today. To come to him if you're thirsty, if you're ready to be satisfied, if you're ready to be different, if you're ready to be changed, if you're ready to be used by him, if you're ready to make a commitment, the things are gonna be different from now on. And I love that the invitation is Jesus doesn't say, let everyone who's qualified come to me. He doesn't say, let everybody who has their stuff all figured out and all their ducks in a row. He doesn't say, let everybody who is doubtless and has all their questions answered. Let everybody whose lives are not messy come to me and drink. The only qualification, Jesus says, is if you're thirsty. If you're thirsty, just just come to me and drink. And I'm confident that as you do, as you allow him to, to pour himself into you. As you become a person committed to him and to his word, allowing him to shape you, that rivers of living water will flow through you to the people around you and that God will do a good work. So let's be people of the book, all right? Will you pray with me? God, you're so good. Lord, we want to be the bean. (laughs) We wanna be... Soft before you. If you need to chew us up a little bit and, and make us something that's usable by you, then please reveal our sin. Show us where we fall short. And if you just want to remind us of your goodness, then please do that, Lord. We're here for it. We're listening. And for my brothers and sisters in the room who are tired, who are worn out, who are disappointed and discouraged, my prayers that you would renew their joy. A joy not in superficial things that come and go and the things of this life that are so fleeting, but a joy in you because that's a joy that'll never change and only gets deeper as time goes on. For our younger friends who are in the room today, my prayer for them is that they would grow in wisdom and in stature and favor with you and with man, that they would love you, Lord, for all of their days, that we all would, and that you would do a good work in us and through us. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said Amen. Let's stand and worship our king together.